God is good to us, isn't he? I believe with all of my heart that God answered some prayers this morning, and I can't wait to hear the praise reports. God, God still works. Uh, and I, I love him, you, and I, I want to cast a little vision again this morning, and you say, well, what is our vision? In a nutshell, we want to see this, this city turned upside down, or actually right side up for Jesus Christ. It's been turned upside down by sin and disillusionment and heartbreak and sorrow and, and hatred and animosity, but God wants to restore it to life and hope and health and love and joy. And, and that happens when, when God gets a hold of individual hearts and, and takes individuals and transforms them into who he wants them to be and, and sets them and commissions them on what they need to do in life. It's an amazing thing when God gets a hold of somebody's heart and somebody's life and they're transformed right before your eyes. There, I, I have seen it over and over again there where Somebody will walk into a church and they'll look at somebody and they'll say, but you don't know my, my problems. You don't know my situation because you've always been in church. Only to be speaking to somebody that just 18 to 24 months before had no idea about God. But God transforms. God changes. God shifts our priorities. He gives us hope and life. And, and, and I love him for that. This church, you say, well, well, well Pastor, how, how do you want this church to, to uh, get to that place where lives are transformed and, 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 that, and that you see what you're talking about? Well, part of it is just like today, when God's presence shows up, you say yes. Amazing things happen when God's people yield to his presence and you say well well this was good today well this is just a starter this is the appetizer this is an hors d'oeuvre the, the main course hasn't even started yet i hope you're hungry so god god is going to do a lot of good things and what, how is he going to do it through your life through my life using us I, would, I want to talk to you just for, just for a couple of minutes this morning on, on uh, the art of the overlook. I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Isn't that a great word? Do you have anybody in your life that you have a hard time forgiving? That's a tough one, isn't it? There's been circumstances in my own life that... that or when you've been done wrong, there's no other way to put it. You know, you, know you, you have been despitefully used, as the Scripture would say. And the Scripture tells us to turn the other cheek or to love your neighbor as yourself. But the reality is, it's a lot harder to do than what you would think, depending on how deep the wound. I, I want to talk to you today about how we're going to get where we need to go. And part of, it is, part of it is about forgiveness. I know when you're in, in the management or if you're teaching school or whatever, there's always performance reviews that you have to, uh, to go through. 
whether you're on one side of the table or the other. They're always about the same. And, and, and if you have employees and you want to give a job or a performance review or a job performance review, or, or if you have students and you want to bring the parents in and, and talk about how Johnny or Susie is doing in school, there's always a good way to do it. There's always a bad way to do it. Never start with the negative. You guys are just beautiful. <laughs> Never start with a negative. Always in, and, and, and you start, it, it's the sandwich theory. You start with something positive and then you get into the corrective and then you come back with something positive. You know, and, and it's like, I, you know, little Johnny is just, a, just a, a young man designed of the Lord. He doesn't do anything I want him to do and I want to kick him out. However, I do believe he can change because I believe in the miraculous. So start with something positive, and then you get to the corrective, and then you, then you move on. And, and Jesus did the same thing in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is talking to the church in Ephesus. And he gives Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, a performance review. And he gives them this sandwich theory. And he, he starts off with praise. And he says, this is to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Now, if you had an employee or an employer standing before you and your employer was saying, man, I know all your good deeds and I know you're a hard worker and I know you persevere, well, that's starting off really good, isn't it? You're thinking, I'm going to get a raise. That's what I'm going to do. And then he says, and you don't even tolerate wicked people because there were people that would come in and into the church and, and they were able to flush them out and identify them and say, no, no, you're not following Christ. So he says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wicked people. And I know you test those that want to be leaders to make sure that what they're saying is really the truth. And by the way, I think that's, that should be a criteria of all Christians in this church, in other churches, and, and that should go with all pastors, myself included. If I'm saying something, make sure you look at it and say, yes, that's in the Word, amen. But you need to study to show yourself approved unto God. So don't just take a person's word for anything. Make sure it's in the Word of God. He said, uh, you've tested those that want to be leaders, and, you, and you've found out who is and who isn't. And he said, and you've endured hardship in tough times. And you didn't even grow weary. You thrived through it. Man, now that, I don't know about you, but if I had an employer that, that was looking at me and he was giving me all of these accolades, I would think, this is phenomenal. I am going to be the next supervisor because look at all the stuff that they're saying about me. And this is what the Lord is doing to the church in Ephesus. He said, church, look, I see your deeds. I see your hard work. I see your perseverance. I see that you don't tolerate wickedness. I see that those that want to be leaders have been tested by you and you've proven them. And, and you endure hardship and tough times and you haven't even grown weary. You've kept on rolling. You kept on moving. You kept on with a positive spirit. And man, I'm so happy for you. And then he jumps right into this correction. He says, but I have one thing. Just one little thing against you. He said, 
you've lost your first love. What was, what was the Lord saying to the church in Ephesus? And you say, well, man, yet they had all these good things, but they just missed this one thing. And yet that one thing, that one small thing, their first love was more important than anything else. We just went through the passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you remember 1 Peter 4, 8, it said this, Above all, because here, here's the church and, and, and Peter's trying to help them understand in light of the Lord's return. He says, above all things, love each other deeply. Love. Have that first love. Love deeply. Love passionately. Love fervently. Make love your priority because love covers over a multitude of sins. Here's Peter. He's echoing the same thing that, that Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus through the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He's saying, above all, love each other deeply. I believe that when we as believers in Christ consider how to live our lives in, in the light of Christ's return, the priority of love always rises to the top. Always rises to the top. So I want to ask you today, how, how does love cover a multitude of sins? How, how does love cover? Jesus was speaking in Matthew 18, and, and, and he was talking about forgiveness, and, and, and then Peter comes up to him and he says, Well, Lord, how many times do we need to forgive those that trespasses against us seven times a day because seven was the number of perfection so evidently you know peter was using out his new theology and yeah you know because he'd just gone through seminary and and he knew that seven was the number of perfection so he's sitting there saying well this must be the right answer and so it has to be seven right lord so if they if they ask forgiveness the eighth time nope sorry can't do it Jesus says, no, it's not seven times a day, but 70 times seven. In other words, what he was saying is, as often as they ask, truly ask, you give it. See, Peter was looking for a formula. This is how you forgive. Peter's looking for the formula. Jesus is trying to direct motive. And here's the thing with the church in Ephesus that, that the Lord, who the Lord loved deeply. He said, you're doing all of these good things, but they're nothing. They don't amount to anything if you don't have the right motive. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's, the church in Corinth, man, they are just vibrant, passionate for the, the gifts of the Spirit, and they're wanting to use all the things of the Spirit, and, and praise God for that fervency. I love that fervency, and, and Paul lines them out and corrects them a little bit in, in, in chapter 12, and he says, man, here's some gifts, and here's some great gifts, and covet earnestly the, the, these, these gifts, and he says, 
but I want to show you a more excellent way. He said, because if you have, though you speak with tongues and men and angels, and you have not love. See, Paul was going through the same thing, that if we don't have love, if we don't have the right motive, none of it really matters. Nothing will come for good. Jesus is trying to tell them in Matthew 18. He, he said, oh, let, me, let me tell you a story, Peter. He said, he said there was a, a man that a lot of people owed him money, so that he started bringing people before him so he could get his accounts. And he says this one man owed him a lot of money. I mean, like a boatload of money. And, and he fell down before him and said, Lord, I don't have the money, but if you just give me a little more time, I'll, I'll, I'll repay you. I'll repay you. And, and even though he didn't have it and, and, the, and the master could have thrown him in prison, could have done whatever he wanted to with him, the scripture says he had pity, compassion, love for the man and was moved and said, I forgive you. You don't have to pay anything. You remember that time when you got to the place where you couldn't take it anymore and you knelt and you said, God, here I am. And I have a debt of sin that I can never repay. And I'm asking for forgiveness and passion and compassion. And it doesn't matter if you are 7, 17, or 70. It always requires that understanding, that key concept in the Christian walk. That the reason why we are born again Christians is because there was somewhere in your life you got to the place that you were standing before the one that you owed, the one that, that God himself, that, and you said, God, I have a debt I cannot pay, and I know that, that you can throw me in prison. I know that you can do whatever you will with me, but I'm asking to have forgiveness and God was moved with compassion and forgave if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ you've never felt that I'm going to tell you no matter what you do no matter how many good deeds you have in your life you're never going to feel the satisfaction and the joy in the understanding of being forgiven by the creator of the heavens and the earth and you'll never experience it until you get to the place that you realize that you have a debt that's insurmountable that you can never repay. And that the only way that you can get forgiveness is by dropping to your knees and saying, God, I can't repay. And allow God to have compassion and allow the blood of Christ, which was shed for our sins. See, because our sins deserve death, and Christ stood in our way, in our path, took our place. So until we actually get there, see, and you say, well, what does that have to do with your first love? That is your first love. 
when you sit there and you remember, I love him because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary. See, everything else that we do in any buildings we build and any programs we develop and in, in any and any people we reach to, and any anybody that we talk to, and any any services we hold, if they're not predicated upon that very thing of the love of God, that He first loves us, and that He loves people, and He wants lost people found. And, and, if, and if that is our driving force, then all of our deeds will come to good, and, and all of our perseverance will be worth it, Then everything we do will bring glory and honor to Him. When we have that first love that He loves us, and we love Him, and He loves the world, and by virtue of God loving the world, we love the world. It's the first love. go on with my story. So the man that was forgiven a lot walked out and he was pretty happy. So he went out and as he was being happy and going out, like, wow, I'm forgiven all this money. He saw somebody that owed him a little bit of money. And the same guy that had been forgiven a lot grabbed the guy by the neck and said, you dirty, rotten rat. Give me my money. And he said, I don't have it, but if you give me a little time, I'll repay. And he wouldn't listen to him. And he had no pity, no compassion, no love. And Jesus was trying to express to Peter and to those that were around that it's not even about the amount of love. It's about your first love. It's about remembering the fact that you have been forgiven an insurmountable amount. And it's washed away. It's cast as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. And then Jesus goes on and in Matthew 18, he finishes his discourse with these words penned in the 35th verse. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. You say, well, how, how important is your first love? It's everything. It's everything. It's the driving force. It's the joy in your life. It's the sorrow in your life when you see people that aren't doing uh, and living right and it breaks your heart because you want them to know Jesus. It's, it's the priority. It helps you set your priority. Love must be the motive by which we seek forgiveness and reconciliation, not only with God, but with one another. Jesus talks a lot about, about forgiving and about overlooking your brother and sister's uh, mistakes. And there are some times, sometimes in your life, let's, let's get down to the, to the point, that there are some times in your life that some people that you love dearly are going to hurt you, they're going to offend you, they're going to break your heart. And it's at that moment, in that time, that you're going to begin a wrestling match that's going to determine your future. 
Because it's not an option of whether we forgive. It's a mandate. If you want to be like Christ, you will forgive. All you have to do is look at Jesus on the cross. and He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is as much for us as it is for the other individual. It's about helping them understand the error of their ways and giving them an opportunity to repent. And when they do, you forgive. Scripture is, is replete with story after story and, and event after event where, where men and women that have offended somebody and somebody goes to them and they, and they repent and, and forgiveness occurs. And it's important to understand that, that forgiveness is one of those things that is essential to the Christian walk and to the Christian faith. And its motivation has to be not only love, but first love. Priority number one. That your feelings are not as important as seeing somebody walking on the streets of Goldsby. I find it amazing that when in Matthew 18, when Jesus told uh, those that were around him, he says, if your brother offends you, you go to him privately, secretly, and, and if they repent, then, you, then, then the matter is concealed. And that's what Peter was referring to in 1 Peter 4.8, where he said, love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't blast it from the mountaintops. Love says, let's reconcile, let's get you right with the Lord. Let's get my heart right with the Lord and let's walk in love together. That's what love is. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I really felt like the Lord has already spoken to us this morning. And, but I had notes and I didn't want to waste them. Would you stand with me please? And you say, well, what, what is love and what is forgiveness and how big of a deal is it? Recently, I told you a story, and I, it's so impacting, it's so powerful. I'm going to tell you again, and, and I believe it was just a week or two ago that I told you about a lady in the church that, where Nancy and I met, Sister Bailey. There, there are some things about Pentecostal churches I really like. One of them is brother and sister. You wouldn't have to remember anybody's name. <laughs> sister Bailey had three, three children, two sons and a daughter, and the youngest son uh, Down syndrome. Down syndrome. And her husband ran off with the secretary. Left her with three children to, to fend for themselves. Tough, tough times, tough road. But she remained strong in the Lord. Instead of running from the Lord, she ran to him. Can I tell you, that's really a key. 
when times get tough, don't blame God. Run to Him. For He's a shelter in a high tower. So time went on, and, and this lady, this secretary that ran off with her husband, made her way to church one night. Same church we were in. Pastor preached, pastor gave an invitation, and that lady got up from her pew, came down to the front, knelt at an altar. If you don't know what an altar is, it's just a piece of wood, a little bench. Where people used to, used to have them in the front of the church, people come down and just pray. Sacrifice their life before the Lord. She was praying, crying, brokenhearted. People were around her praying for her. And she was so moved that she just fell over backward into the arms of the person that was praying for her, which was Sister Bailey. You say, well, why, Pastor, why do you always tell that story? I don't know of a greater story other than Christ of forgiveness and that forgiveness is rooted in love and realizing the things of this life are not near as significant in light of eternity but as a pastor if I, if I had a challenge to give to you and by the way, I do. Love. Love fervently. Love passionately. And forgive willingly and joyfully. Because in view of the light of eternity, the only thing that matters is one soul being born into the kingdom of heaven. Nothing else matters. Nothing matters. When that trumpet sounds, not one person in here is going to think, oh, wow, I wish I'd have gone to one more basketball game, or I wish I'd have done this, or I wish I would have mowed the grass. I wonder what my neighbor is going to think of me now that I'm gone and my grass is tall. Not, not one of us is going to think of any of those things. What we are going to see is those that are around us. When we brace eternity and we see the magnificence and the glory and the majesty of the king on high and we are enthralled in his presence and we look around and we see one another and we celebrate with joy and perhaps just perhaps you're going to be able to look out and out of the corner of your eye you're going to see somebody that you had a significant important role in them being there and when you make eye contact with them, there is going to be like no other contact because they're going to know that you're going to know that you're celebrating together because you had love. 
nothing else matters. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I would, I would say I, I would encourage you to start right now. And it doesn't matter how many problems you have, how many circumstances that you're facing. If you will just say, Lord, I'm all in with you. I have a debt that I cannot pay, but I'm looking to you. Because it, it really comes down to this. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you and God. And you have to talk to him. I can't talk to him for you. Nobody can talk to him for you. You have to. Let me, let me rephrase that. You get to. You have an opportunity to talk to the creator of the heavens and the earth and allow his love, his grace to lavish you. You've been walking with the Lord. Maybe somebody's hurt you and you're just wrestling with that. Can I encourage you to let it go? To love? To love unconditionally? You say, well, Pastor, that's easier said. Yes, it is. But I know, I know through personal experience that on the other side of that, there is freedom. When you finally say, Lord, I'm finished with this. So if you have a situation in your life that you're dealing with, can you give it to the Lord? 